Go to 1 John, which is the passage that we've been looking at, and I want to reflect a little bit on what Marcelli was saying about the hope that we give people. We're right at the end of the book, 1 John chapter 5, it's on page 1228, at verse 18, where John says this, we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who is born of God keeps him safe, and the evil one cannot harm him. We know that we are children of God, and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourself from idols. I want us to... uh, just ask a very, very simple question that's tied in very much with what Marcelli was saying. And I was thinking of these kids who, uh, one of the things that struck me about what you were saying, Marcelli, was this notion of being scared of being in a place which has boundaries, which is quite fixed, because that's a place where you've been abused. And I was thinking of the insecurities that we have and the security that we have. And our security and our insecurity comes from what we know. So if you've only known a father who abuses you, then you're scared when you're aware of that relationship. If you've only known a home where there is trouble, then you're scared when you're placed in what appears to be another home situation. And I think that what we know is where we get our security and insecurity from. Now, there are all kinds of difficulties with that for us as Christians. For example, let us suppose that your child is ill, or your mother is ill, or your father is ill, and you are a Christian, and they've got cancer. Other Christians will sometimes come to you and will visit you and say, I know that God is going to make them better. Now, you really want to believe that because you want that to be true. But when the person comes as they know that they've been told by the Lord and so on, it's a very dangerous thing to say and it's a very cruel thing to say unless you do actually know, unless you have been told by God. And you meet people who, who believe this, who believe that their child was going to get better or their parent was going to get better, and then their child dies or their parent dies. And, and what they know, suddenly everything, their whole life becomes very, very, very insecure. So the real question is, what do we know that makes us secure? What do we know that gives us assurance? What do we know that causes us to worship God? And I want to suggest to you that if you're like me, will say things like, I know that my family is secure. I know my husband will never betray me. I know my wife will never leave me. I know my children are, I've been promised that my children are going to grow up fantastic. Or I know that I'm financially secure, that uh, my pension's okay, that my job's fairly secure. I know that. Or I know that my health is good. So you feel secure because your health is good. Or I know that I'm in the right place or the right time. Or, for example, in church, 
We like a feeling of security in church. So we'll say, we know that God is going to bless this church. We know that God is going to pack it out. We know that, um, you know, the minister's wonderful and the leader's wonderful. And we, we know this and we know that. And we, and we have this, this knowledge. We say that we have this knowledge. And yet you read through the New Testament and I challenge you to find a single example of that kind of knowledge in the New Testament church. It's the wrong kind of security. I am going to give you from these, just going to go through these verses and you'll notice in verse 18 he says, we know. And I'm going to give you 10 things that we know that are absolutely sure. And I'm going to say to you, all the other stuff that I've mentioned, you don't know. You do not know that you will live tomorrow. You do not know what's going to happen to your family. You do not know what's going to happen to your pension. You do not know what will happen with your job. And I actually think it's wrong for a Christian to be going around looking for security in these things. Our security is in Christ. So let's just see what they are. And I really am just going to list them. We know, he says, we do not continue to sin. This is, uh, these two verses from, uh, three verses from verses 18 to 20 are really a summary of the whole letter. And early in their letter, he's talked about sin, and he said that Christians do sin, and this does seem contradictory, and if you want to go into this in more detail, you just have to go back and uh, get the sermons off the website. But the point of it is this. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or knows him. I know as a Christian that my attitude to sin is different than my attitude would be as a non-Christian or was as a non-Christian. I know I don't want to sin. I know that there is something in me that says, I just don't want to do evil. I don't want to do things that are wrong. I don't want to be greedy. I don't want to be selfish. I want to serve God. And we know that we're not sinless perfectionism. We're just simply stating here that our attitude to sin has changed, that we've been given new life and a new heart, and our minds are being renewed. And as a Christian, you know that. Second thing you know, we know that we are kept safe by Jesus. The one who is born of God keeps him safe. The one who is born of God, who's that? That is Jesus, the one who was born. Yes, we are attacked and we are even wounded by the devil, but we're not killed. We still believe, we still have faith. Why? Not because we have an ability to keep ourselves safe, but we know that Jesus keeps us safe, that we are kept safe by the Son of God. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. I give them, says Jesus, eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Christian has this tremendous assurance that we are held in the the grip of Jesus Christ, and we are not and never will be in the grip of the evil one. Now, you think um, both with Watoto and what uh, Marsley was saying, and it's true in this country as well. There are children who are growing up in the grip of the evil one, and the greatest thing that they can be given, they should be given health, they should be given shelter, they should be given so many different things, but the greatest thing that they can be given is to be held in the hand of Christ and not in the hands of the evil one. And as a Christian, 
you know that. Sometimes we are, sometimes we are really, really assaulted in so many different ways. But says John, we know, we have an assurance. Thirdly, because, we know that because we are children of God. Watoto again, when they were here, they sang a song, I am not forgotten, I am a child of God. To all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We are born again, we have new life, we belong completely to him. We know that we are children of God. We may not know. Ultimately, we may say, well, even our closest, our nearest and dearest may let us down. But God will never, ever let me down. You see, the trouble is when people do, when they say my security is in my family or my security is in my health or my security is in my wealth, the trouble is when these things go, then people then say, well, I don't believe in God. Because the security was not in God. The security was in something else. And it seems horrendous that you can, yourself or someone close to you can be ill and can be dying and you can say, God, where are you? But your security is in God. You know, you know that you are a child of God. You know also, helps explain, that the world is under the control of the evil one. The world is dominated by the devil who orchestrates it to be opposed to God. It's a world of darkness, evil, and sin, and we are to be light in it. I know that some people struggle with the idea, what Marcelli was saying, and what happened to Maureen, struggle with the idea of you know, children being abused and so on. I don't want to hear about that. I don't want to hear about that. Human beings are basically good. These are exceptions. No, they're not. 200 million street children, children in this city who this day and this night will be abused by adults. And don't think, no, 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 this is, just, this is just a tiny, tiny, tiny thing. Yes, at its most extreme edge, it is. But we live in a world where that happens and where it's permitted to happen. And we are to be light in that world. You notice he says, the world lies it's in the control of the evil one. It's under the control. It it's, it's carries this idea of almost like a baby being in, in, in arms. There's a banality about evil. There's an inertness about evil. Don't always think that evil is stalks round with you know, someone with horns going and, and you know, cutting people up. There's just something in there. The world's freedom is slavery and its autonomy is an illusion. All the major compulsions of modern life, drunkenness, sexual promiscuity, drugs, gambling, materialism, they're all attempts to escape away from the slavery of sin into a world of personal fulfillment and satisfaction. And it's a lie from the father of lies. The whole world is under the control of the evil one. The world is not neutral. We know the Son of God has come. That's the fifth thing we know. It's very different. That which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. Jesus has come and Jesus is still here. There's a temptation that some Christians have which say, because the world is evil, we withdraw. 
But we don't withdraw from the world. We know that Jesus is here and we know we take him with us wherever we go. And please don't hold up Marsily as an example of a Christian heroine. Sorry, I do with all due respect to Marsily. That's really unfair because all of us have to be in the world. All of us. This is a dirty place. This is, this is where you have to get your hands dirty. But Jesus came. The Son of God has come. And he came to die for the sins of the world. He is, says John, the propitiation for the whole world. He is the atoning sacrifice that takes away the sins of the whole world. And that's the most wonderful, fantastic thing that we know in terms of the gospel, that every single person you meet, you are able to offer them the greatest thing of all, that's Jesus Christ. We know, number six, that we've been given understanding. You know the truth, and the truth will set you free. God has given us a spiritual and an intellectual capacity to receive truth. God's truth is addressed to the mind, to the heart. It activates the will. It's not just intellectual, but it does involve our intellect. It's thinking, but the thinking that goes really, really deep. We know. Number seven, we know that we know the truth. Understanding Christian truth, says Jackman, is not a matter of mastering doctrinal formulations, important though they are, or of grasping abstract philosophical ideas like those the Gnostics propagated that John was writing against, but of meeting, knowing, and submitting to the person who is truth. This kind of knowledge becomes fellowship. In our Wikipedia world, we have a kind of knowledge which is only words. But the knowledge that the Bible is speaking about is a knowledge of the truth that is in Jesus Christ. In The Guardian yesterday, Stephen Hawking was asked by Richard Dawkins in a kind of loving that they had together, um, was asked, uh, what is the thing that science teaches that you'd most want people to know? You know what he said? And it betrays more than anything else. The thing that I would most want people to hear from science is that there is not a God who created the universe. That's his whole motivation. It's not about science and truth. It's about there is no God, there is no God, there is no God. Keep screaming it and keep screaming it and keep screaming it. Remember that atheist bus slogan? There's no God, so cheer up and enjoy life. I dare you to go to the street kids and tell them that. Just enjoy life. We're going with saying there is a God, so you can have life. That's the difference. We know that we know the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We know the truth, not because we're dead smart. We know the truth because we know Jesus, and he is the truth. We know that we are in Christ. That's where our security comes from. We are in him who is true, and in his son, Jesus Christ. There is the closest possible relationship between the Father and the Son, and we share in that. We are in God, and he is in us. We know that those who obey his commands and live in him, and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know that I'm in Christ. Number nine, we know that Jesus is the true God. What does that mean for being in Christ? For the people of that time, there were many gods. For the people in our world today, they're saying there are many gods. We are getting to a stage in this country where a school will not allow you to speak in that school unless you're prepared to accept that there are many gods. We're going to have state-enforced 
paganism in effect. But there are not many gods. All the gods of this world are dumb idols. They are dumb idols. And it doesn't matter who they are. And you can say Mohammed, and you can say Buddha, and you can say uh, all the Hindu gods, and you can say all the Christian saints and martyrs and so on. If people worship them as God, they are dumb idols. Jesus is the only God. He's the only one who saves. It really is a very plain and straightforward statement. He is the true God, he says, and eternal life. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. In Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you've been given fullness in Christ. You know, that absolute clown who, in the name of Christ, wants to burn the Quran as a political negotiating thing, you know, it's unbelievably ridiculous that a Christian would behave in that way. But the responses are sometimes just as bad. And there was a, a, an elder from the Church of Scotland on the radio giving thought for the day who rightly, I think, criticized the guy, but then wrongly said, I don't really know that much of the Bible, but I do know this, that all ways are ways to God. He doesn't know that much of the Bible. All ways are not ways to God. That's not how it works. We know that Jesus is the true God. Remember um, Hugh telling us about Watoto when they came here and they went to the Scottish Parliament. And this is to the shame of Scotland, the absolute shame of Scotland. Please don't regard African nations as backward when our own nation does this. They went to the Scottish Parliament and they were told, don't sing any songs about Jesus. And you know, of course, their response, we don't know any songs that are not about Jesus, <laughs> which, was, which was just brilliant. It was just, I thought that was just fantastic. Can you imagine that? We like you. It's nice having cute little African orphan kids, but don't sing any songs about Jesus in case we get offended or someone gets offended. What? As a nation, we're so pathetic. Why can't we just grow up and let people have the freedom to express their faith? Because we know that Jesus is the true God. That's why the early Christians were martyred, because they said, look, you can worship Jesus if you want, but just worship Caesar. No, Caesar's not God. We're only going to worship Jesus. And we know this, last thing that he's eternal life. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Imagine that. You're a street child, and in many places, the streets are known as the streets of death. At one point in Colombia, the government were paying some of the paramilitary organizations to go around and kill the street children, just get them out of the way. Just get rid of them, because they were such a nuisance. Life is cheap. Their lives are cheap. And okay, we, we don't pay people to go around and kill and get rid of them. But I tell you what we do. We want to isolate the problem. We want to put people into ghettos. We want to just say, just keep them away from us. Keep them away. It's death. But we as Christians have got life, and we offer life to people across the board. To know Christ is to know life. Just, just going down Perth Road on Friday and just seeing so many young people, just such emptiness, such banality, such sadness in what was supposed to be joy when the solution is drink and sex and everything else. And you know it's going to end in tears. We have life 
to give people because we have Christ and we know that Christ is eternal life. Let me finish Romans 8, verse 31. In fact, I'll, I'll read from verse 28, and this is just sums up where we are as Christians, where we get our security from. And if you're not a Christian and you don't have this security, you need to come to Christ because there is no security in anybody else. All other ground is sinking sand. It's on Christ, the solid rock I stand. Romans 8, verse 28. We know, again, we know, we're not guessing, we're not speculating, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. That's where your certainty is. Not in your knowledge that things are going to work out okay in particular instances. But we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Again, imagine just for a minute that you're a street child and you're a street child because your father has rejected you because you've been abused by your mother or whatever and you come to understand who Jesus is, you come to faith in Jesus Christ and then you come to understand that God loved you so much that he chose you. It's a great and glorious truth. Whoever turned predestination into some kind of hellish doctrine doesn't understand it and grasp it. It's a wonderful truth to know that he loved me and gave himself for me. He did it. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died, more than that who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered a sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And if you want the answer to what you know and what you are convinced of, memorize this verse, stick it on your wall, stick it in your Bible, repeat it to yourself again and again and again in whatever circumstances you find yourself in. Because as a Christian, you can say this, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.